Heron, children of all ages, welcome to another Fuds on Film podcast, the first of 2017, That well, the first recording of 2017. I am Scott Morris, and I have with me today, Craig Eastman. Japan! <laughs> A refrain familiar to many who stalked the arcades in the mid-90s looking for the Street Fighter 2 cabinets, and that is what we're talking about today. Unfortunately. For some reason. <laughs> because you can never hate yourself quite enough. It seemed like a bad idea at the time. That's it. <laughs> Eyes are there to be abused. We are, for some reason, talking about uh, movie adaptations, not just of video games, which no. already have a hard-won reputation for being entirely dreadful, as evidenced by, well, all of them. But uh, we're going to talk about one little subgenre of that. Uh, puzzlingly, one of the most popular genres for uh, plundering is the one-on-one fighting game, which is unusual because any plot in those games is normally relegated to the manuals. <laughs> Not, you'd think, prime candidates for making movies from, but that's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> that's the direction that we headed in early days. <laughs> yes, so we are covering for our sins Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, and a little bit of Dead or Alive as well. Uh, this will be a doozy. So basically <laughs> we are... We're breaking out the uh, baseball bats of constructive criticism and we will be hammering them for some time. So if you don't like <laughs> relentless negativity, you may want to give this podcast a miss. Yes. But <laughs> I suppose, but we'll, let's see if we can find any truffles amongst the undergrowth. I'm sure we can. Craig, why don't you tell us a wee bit about Street Fighter? Oh, Street Fighter then. My, my. At Shadaloo, M. Bison did not surrender. Oh yeah, and Colonel Guile met Destiny in quite a similar way. Did it, did did it? Semicircle and hard punch. Did it, did will lead to a meaty big crunch. <laughs> ah yes, self-styled dictator and all-round asshole General M. Bison has seized control of the tropical Asian nation of Shadaloo during a tumultuous civil war. Bison has taken hostages, including scientists and numerous personnel of the Allied Nations Army, and is demanding a mere twenty billion dollars in ransom money be paid to him within three days, or he'll execute them all. This is like a red rag to a bull, especially if your bull in question is Colonel William Guile, commanding officer of the Allied Nations Force in. Shadaloo, and a man with whom Bison would appear to have some long-running beef. After a brief setup with a pair trade clearly bromantic insults by alternately hijacking live local TV news feeds, Gaio somewhat stupidly appeals to his pal Carlos Blanca, one of the kidnapped soldiers, to hold it together while he launches a rescue mission, thus alerting Bison to both the fact that an assault is imminent and also that he possesses obvious emotional leverage over Gaio. <laughs> <laughs> Variously, the assorted peripheral characters, including news reporter Chun Li and her camera crew, Bison strong arm scientist Dao Sim, local arms dealer Sagat, hustlers Ryu and Ken, to name but a few, all reveal themselves to be magnificently accomplished martial artists, with a broad range of motivations to either serve or kick the ass of Bison. So the forces of good and evil are poised to face each other in a quest for vengeance and the freedom of Shadaloo, and we the viewer are faced with several teeth-gnawingly important questions. Will JCVD do his split kick shtick? Is Eddie Honda really managing to do Shadaloo on $25 a day? Will Bison realise his dream to build a new city in his own image, Bisonopolis, with a food court large enough to attract all the big franchise players? <laughs> Only 100 minutes of borderline mental sight gags and martial arts posturing will tell. Stephen E. D'Souza writes and directs. I think one of the th- 
One of the things to be said about these movies, Scott, is that we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about plot. Because, bizarrely, perhaps with the Super Mario Brothers movie aside, the whole game of translating video games to the big screen in its infancy tended to fall back, as you quite rightly say, on the perhaps counterintuitive... (laughs) subgenre of the beat-em-up, the most thinly plotted of the video games. And quite why that decision was made is beyond me, but certainly in the discussion we've had today, it makes things a little bit easier from that point of view. Yeah. <laughs> That's perhaps more applicable to the other things we'll talk about. I mean, I actually could talk about the plot of Street Fighter for some time, as it's mental. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, other movies are far more straightforward than what they've attempted to do, and this is pretty bananas in comparison. I was reading an article uh, on Kotaku, um, thanks to the folks at the Exploding Helicopter podcast for pointing me in that direction. It's one of these ones, I mean, as you say, they're written and directed by Stephen D'Souza. It's his first gig as director, but in terms of writing, he's not got a bad track record by this point. He'd done no. the likes of Commando, he's done Running Man. I, I was um, going to say, you can see the similarities between this and Commando in particular, right? Crazy, crazy yes. dictator on an island paradise. Yes, and from what he was saying uh, in the in this fairly long dissection it was another one of these shoots from hell really um, as a director he kind of got steamrolled by the studios and Capcom uh, so his initial idea was let's focus on just a few characters and not go overboard with all these other ones because if you try and put all the roster from the Street Fighter game in it's going to be crazy you're going to have to find things for all these characters to do it's going to be a complete mess so let's not do that and everyone yeah yeah that sounds like a good idea and then six months later they've insisted that he write in all these other characters as well so th- this is why you wind up with this, this nonsense like Chun Li coming around as a reporter who's also trying to fight Bison with a boxer who's also a cameraman who <laughs> who was who um, Bison had some sort of dealings with corrupting his fight game and also a sumo wrestler as well because yes um, th- <laughs> because that's probably what happened yes <laughs> to, to quote Hudson Hawk another D'Souza joint yes just, just a very puzzling and uh, convoluted plot that tries desperately to find something useful for all of these characters to do and in that comes with some quite strange moments that give this a sort of charm. It's strange looking back at some of the reviews at the time, because they were saying, oh, you, this, is a, this is a joke, you can't take this seriously, you can't take a bazooka-toting Kylie Minogue seriously. And it's like, I don't think you were ever supposed to. No. Um, none of this, this is clearly a comedy action, that's going for comedy with some success and some outright failures. It's, it's a strange beast where about half the stuff that it's trying to do as a comedy scene kind of lands and the other half falls so yeah. flat it becomes funny just because it's so bad. I am now at the point of my life where I don't really watch bad movies ironically anymore. <laughs> uh, I, <I've, laughs> but this is one film that I don't know whether it's just nostalgia from the days when I did watch bad films ironically or if I actually do find that this is just generally so strange and mind-bending that it's worth watching. <laughs> uh, I mean, on, on a logical level, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible film uh, full of just weird action scenes not being shot properly. It's, as I say, very troubled shoot. Raul Julie, of course, you mentioned the Zen Bison mm. is perhaps the, the one thing that, that should clue you into the fact that this is not intended to be taken entirely seriously. 
as he is the largest of all possible hams, mm-hmm. uh, running around eating as much of the scenery as could be imagined. And uh, there's enough moments between that and the most coked out performance in John Claude Van Damme's career. Um, <laughs> very much to grips of substance addiction that saw him condemned yep. to direct a video for <laughs> some years after this. And it is just a mental film. So I'll tell you this, it's certainly not a good film, but I would never accuse it of being boring. Uh, <laughs> there's lots of... Uh, Many strange little touches in it that, uh, that for some reason make me kind of like it. It's, yep. it's a tough thing to actually recommend anyone do, but I think if you do, you will get some enjoyment out of how crazy it is. You, you have, <laughs> I'm so glad to hear you say this because you have said almost entirely what I wanted to say. And I was so worried that you were going to savage it and I was going to have to be the guy who put my hand up and went, I kind of liked it. And but as you say, I kind of like it in the sense that I'm not ever going to recommend anyone else watch it on on your head. Be it if you want to watch it, but I've got to I've got to be honest, Scott. Like I sat there and I, albeit just sitting on my iPad watching it because there's no way my other half would tolerate <laughs> this instead of EastEnders or anything like that. So I sat there with my headphones on my iPad and I, like I laughed out loud three or four times and. That yeah. is more than can be said of some films that actually, you know, posit themselves as out-and-out comedies and market themselves as such yes. in the cinema. <laughs> and I know that there are all these, like you say, and even now people seem like massively, massively divided on it. But especially at the time, the number of people who were calling this out is one of the worst films of all time. And yeah, it yeah. most definitely is not. And no. anyone who says they are concerned that they're not sure whether this movie is supposed to be taken seriously or not, is already taking crazy pills because (laughs) it is quite clearly intended as a comedy from the very, very outset. And at no point did I think it was trying to be something different. Unlike Mortal Kombat, which we'll talk about um, briefly, where I felt like that movie was on a bizarre sort of constant course correction between wanting to be taken seriously and then trying to be a bit funny and then wanting to be taken seriously again. At no point does this film want you to take it seriously. And there are so many sight gags and sort of nice throwaway background touches and whatnot that might yeah. not otherwise have expected. I, I honestly, I, I'm, I don't know how soon I would go and watch it again, but I enjoyed <laughs> it. I enjoyed it. It's not a good film, but I enjoyed watching it and I can't ask for a lot more than that. Yeah, and as you say, there are lots of silly little Easter eggs in there that just elevate a touch, like Bison's controlling his mind defence system and he's using a Street Fighter 2 joystick from the arcade cabinets to do it. (laughs) (laughs) There was the best bit, I think the biggest laugh was when they're all sort of gathered at the sort of arms fair and they're all in their tent and then Chun Li comes on the television to goad them <laughs> yeah, and yes. shows shows them strapping their one of their trucks with explosives. And as as they're watching this truck rolling towards the camera, everybody gathered in the tent realizes that the truck is actually outside rolling towards them. And Zangief, who the Russian wrestler who is portrayed as being somewhat thick throughout the film, <laughs> shouts quick, change the channel. <laughs> I haven't. That is like that is one of the funniest things I've seen in a film. I think almost ever. Never mind the like the last six months or anything. This this film has got some stuff going for it, and some of that writing. You again, it's flawed, and you can see where there's interference from the studio. But even despite all of that, it hangs together a lot better than some of the other films I, I suspect we'll be talking about, and it feels closer to a complete package than. Than uh, than the yeah. others, but I'm a l- I find it a little bit strange that people were quite so quite so hard on it. I suppose this this might sound weird, and I might regret saying this, but perhaps it was a little bit ahead of its time. Yeah, it's perhaps a little bit of the uh, last action hero thing going for it, where I think mm. uh, time has been kinder to it than uh, it was 
initially uh, received, if you know what I mean. It's a, a, got a little bit of a postmodern ironicism going on in there, uh, yeah. which helps leaving it a little bit. It's perhaps a little frustrating because a lot of the flaws in this were really uh, down to a number of scenario uh, situations that couldn't be resolved. I mean, a lot of this budget went straight to Jean-Claude Van Damme, yes. who I think for, does quite well, given that he was apparently... Uh, <laughs> Incapacitated with drugs most days, yeah, uh, due to and, the- and having it away with Kylie Minogue off screen as well. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Whilst married to someone else entirely. And, uh, of course, this, sadly, is Raul Julia's final film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just started this after, it was almost immediately after some like operations on his uh, stomach, stomach cancer, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So he, when he showed up on set, basically he was he, he was in no condition to really do anything. So no. shooting got delayed while they had to basically <laughs> stop him from looking quite so much like a skeleton. And you can still see that in a few scenes, which is actually a bit sad to see. So it so yeah. looks, looks very gaunt. In a few scenes, um, but by before God, he kind of recovered he, a little bit. He put some spirit. He into acts it. his heart off. Oh yes, and uh, he he really is the linchpin that makes this watchable. His yeah. uh, his over the top. And you know what? This speeches is, really are great. This isn't. I don't. I don't even think this is the kick in the epitaph for him that everybody kind of makes out that it is either. Everybody talks about this film no. in terms of oh, what a disgrace that this should be Raul Julia's last film. No, I don't think that's the way to look at it at all. I think if he were still here with us now, he'd look back on it probably quite fondly. Not, yeah. that, I'm, not that I'm one to speak for you know. <laughs> I'm not Raul Julia's mouthpiece from the afterlife, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think there are worst examples of films he's been involved in than this. Yeah, and he, he has better moments in this film than probably in quite a lot of his career. Things like the, hmm. the little speech that he gives to Chun-Li about how the, you know, the day that Bison <laughs> graced his village. <laughs> you know, the, the whole oh. for me it was Tuesday thing. It's a, it's a fantastic meme-worthy, if you really do that kind of thing, yeah. uh, little it's, speech. It, and it's, not, it's not that he was in this film unaware of what it was and he's been made to look a fool. He's absolutely aware of what movie he's involved in and he, he conducts himself accordingly and with great aplomb. Yeah. But yeah, just bizarre. Yeah, probably the unfortunate thing, uh, other unfortunate thing that this scheduling issue caused was that basically a lot of the, what we'd normally been shooting first, all the dramatic scenes with uh, Raul Julie and all that stuff, the actual acting component of it had to get shunted to the back end of the schedule and all the stunts had to come up first, which was normally the kind of time where they'd be, they'd be taking actors aside and, you know, running them through the paces and practicing and rehearsing all that sort of stuff and yes basically they kind of weren't able to do that they had to go straight on to just shooting that stuff so that's why the actual fight scenes fall a little bit flat and it's unfortunately the weakest aspect of it is probably all the action scenes which is unfortunate mm-hmm. and something that you recast as in basically a comic action movie a sort of a light james bond spoof effectively that is the weakest part of it uh, when it does try and set away its action scenes they don't work all that well mm. and again another thing it was puzzlingly hampered when they did the first cut of this and it got an R rating and then everyone went no no we can't have that so it got cut back down basically everything that was remotely violent got cut out and it went down yeah. to a G which was not violent enough so that's why they added in one instance of Jean-Claude Van Damme swearing to make it back to a PG-13 yeah I did wonder about that that was bizarre because funnily enough as I was watching this I actually felt like in terms of the level of violence depicted, because probably more people are visibly killed in this film by some margin than Mortal Kombat. But whereas Mortal oh, Kombat yes. was a game marketed almost entirely uh, and predicated almost entirely on the ridiculous levels of gore, yes. you know, Street Fighter 2 was a much more um, sanitised fighting game. Also, the Street Fighter games, uh, sorry, Street Fighter 2 being the most obvious influence yeah. here culturally overall, but the Street Fighter games in general are much more sanitised experience and uh, a more 
technical game than the Mortal Kombat games, and I actually felt exactly, like, yes. oh, yeah, I I felt like this was the level of violence in this film was pitched more appropriately in terms of the game it was derived from. So yeah, it was it, it came as a surprise then to read that it had initially been much more violent and that several edits were made for that. Um, whereas, bizarrely enough, Mortal Kombat, uh, again, which we'll talk about soon, probably suffers from not being violent enough uh, in comparison to the source material. But Yes, and we should point out that compared to the source material, this has no relation whatsoever. No, other than the names and appearance of the characters. Yes, uh, everything else is very loosely inspired by it. I mean, the only actual video game commonality between this and the series is, curiously enough, the video game adaptation of this movie, which was adapted from the video game. Ah. <laughs> I've fallen down a meta hole. <laughs> One of the strangest reverse adaptations. Uh, and also the reason that they have cast... You, you, you may perhaps remember Captain Sawada and wondered why he has no purpose. The guy, Kenya Sawada, was playing uh, one of Guile's sidekicks who was leading the commando team but didn't really actually seem to do anything but it was one of these another uh, instance where I think Capcom kind of forced that in because he was intending to be there was plans for Capcom to adapt a number of its franchises to mm. the big screen which were put on ice after the, the reception this got but he was going to be the kind of a uh, kind of common actor amongst all of them he'd be kind of Capcom's you know the face of Capcom yeah. uh, although that didn't actually go anywhere so yeah so a puzzling addition I think they were going to cast him initially as a as, uh, Ryu but um, he he doesn't really speak English, so that didn't fly so well. So an alternate plan was hastily concocted, which didn't really work particularly well, but um, it's in amongst so much other superfluous nonsense <laughs> it's, yeah. it kind of just gets lost in the shuffle the, the casting of this is the casting of this really is interesting and it's, it's interesting to hear about the studio interference and when we talk about you know so much I think you know 8 million of a 35 million dollar budget went straight to Van Damme but when you you know that sounds like a bit of a little bit more financial prudence was in order but when you say as you know the plan originally was to have a much smaller cast it kind of explains yeah. the fact that you have these sort of much most of the most of the periphery characters are, are much you know less recognisable, um, although certainly more recognisable yeah. again than the Mortal Kombat crew. But also that Stephen D'Souza deferred his salary in order to pay for the remainder of the cast, which, if that's down mm. to Capcom's interference, seems awfully unfair. Um, yes, <laughs> an awfully unfair burden for D'Souza to have uh, taken on board. But you've still got people like Wes Studi in there amongst them. Um, yeah. You know these who would go on after <laughs> who had who'd previously been in like Last of the Mohicans and Dances with Wolves, and who, I think the year after this, would go on to be in Heat to play for So there's like, you know, there are some interesting characters in there, and I get the feeling that everybody knows what they signed up for. There's not anyone here who's really taking this movie too seriously, and all of the sort of incidental characters, I didn't think that the whole thing of the buddy-buddy partnership between Ryu and Ken was going to play out all that well, and it did. And yeah. the character of Zangief could be like teeth grindingly, <laughs> you know, could could be that sort of like oh cringe cringe worthy, but actually yeah. his stupidity actually really pays off towards the end was the, the revelation from DJ that Zangief, what are you talking about? Don't you realise, mate? You you are one of the bad guys, <laughs> and it transpires <laughs> that he thought he's been on the side of the good guys all along. <laughs> 
<laughs> all of that stuff pays off and everybody everybody pitches their performance at just about the right level and it honestly was not the cringe fest I expected yeah just a, a really strange little movie and I can understand why people don't like it but I, actually I think if you go in with the right frame of mind and probably as I did a big glass of gin big gin and tonic might surprise yourself let's say I'm not I'm not going to recommend it to anyone because I don't want the I don't want to come back on that if anybody <laughs> if anybody has a terrible experience but like I'm I'm kind of glad I watched it. Yeah, again, just to, just to make sure I'm not misrepresenting it, but there is nothing here that's not on some level been thought out. It might not have landed, it might not have been mm-hmm. executed exactly the way you'd want it, but this isn't a lazy film. And if you watch any number no. of uh, these kind of video games, I'll, I'll throw in some letter references at the end, but there's a number of really lazy cash grabs that have been done in, well, not just this, but in the horror, like direct-to-video horrors and all these kind of things. There's some films that you just yeah. cannot believe were made. It's the the bare minimum of what you could put onto film and call a movie. And this is yeah. not it. There's some serious thought and going into yeah. everything behind this, and it's not been not landed. It's not not fully been no. you know the vision that we're going for. And uh, but it has a lot of worth to it. It's interesting on a, on a great number of levels, and it's, it's I would probably recommend most people try and watch it at some point. Certainly, if you have an interest in video games and you've avoided it so far. But I suppose we should talk about our other major entry then, Scott. Yes. Uh, a film by the name of Mortal Kombat. Um, <laughs> as we've as we've said, as a criticism oft levied, especially in the early years, that video game adaptations struggled primarily due to the unsophisticated plotting of the source material. And of those genres of game most guilty, a very stiff accusatory finger can most readily be pointed toward the beat-em-up fighting game to your mum and dad. We, we saw Street Fighter take one tack, which was to insert the characters into a loosely inspired framework, around which an almost completely original story, no matter how barmy, was draped. Uh, Mortal Kombat takes a different approach, which is to not bother with the adapting part and just set about having multiple dudes, demons and the token female fighter start kicking seven shades out of each other. What plotting there is transposes wholesale from the game, which is to say, the two realms, ours and the other one, have competed for centuries in a martial arts tournament that affords the victor the right to invade the other. Somewhat arbitrarily, in order to do so, one realm must have won ten straight tournaments. Setting aside quite why it is that either realm would want to have anything whatsoever to do with the other in the first place, the greatest warriors of each generation are gathered and brought to a remote island that boasts an unlikely range of geographical and topological features in order to decide the fate of the world by punching each other really hard in the face. There are a couple of familiar faces here, Christopher Lambert and Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa, probably the most, if only recognisable, of the bunch, and a sizeable supporting cast of people I'd wager any one of you dear listeners would walk past in the supermarket without batting an eyelid. Whereas Street Fighter had the good grace to splash some cash on recognisable talent, asterisk, such as JCVD, Byron Mann, Wes Studi, Kylie Minogue, and we didn't mention Simon Callow? <laughs> Mortal Kombat has neither the budget nor the inclination to hire anyone who might come with a rider beyond KFC for dinner every night, and is much more interested in characters who are good-looking in a daytime soap kind of way, being physically unkind towards sneering demons and a couple of guys who showed up to an early 90s rave venue to remove the asbestos. Uh, most notable for launching the career of director Paul W.S. Anderson. Go figure. Sadly, sadly <laughs> not a P.T. Anderson film. That remains a distant dream for now. A Mortal Kombat adaptation <laughs> by P.T. Anderson. 
we can only hold on to that dream, Scott. When we talk about the effort that was put in clearly uh, at the at least the, the conceptual, the planning, and well, in a lot of regards, the execution stage of the, the Street Fighter movie, Scott, I don't feel we can say much of the same about this. Um, no, clearly this is the route one approach to adapting any kind of fighting game. It's like, well, can't we just do Enter the Dragon and dress up a bit? Yeah, okay, let's just do Enter the Dragon and dress up a bit. Basically, it is they've shoehorned the basic elements from Enter the Dragon and, and translated that with a few special moves put in here and there. In terms of the actual action of the piece, it's basically just a, an excuse to cycle through various backdrops inspired by the mm-hmm. games, more or less. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a, it's a 90 minute stage select, isn't it? Yes. And you, you say there's been no one uh, famously uh, famous in the casting of this, but of course you do have uh, Bridget Wilson playing Sonya Blade, who became Bridget Wilson Sampras, Pete Sampras's wife. Which That's is right, yes. Not that she's actually particularly famous for acting, but I just like it as a piece of trivia. Um, and also wish that Pete Sampras had been cast in this. It might have made it a little bit more interesting. The problem with this film is, I mean, high art it most certainly is not, but for a film aimed squarely at action movie fans fans of the game and ideally the, the the Venn diagram intersection between those two, it makes a reasonable fist of satisfying its not particularly lofty goals. It's not without its flaws. I mean, particularly the very early CG of Reptile's animal form is... Oh. Mm, it doesn't hold up particularly well or I suspect particularly well at the time. And the palm spears and whatnot. Yes. <laughs> right, strike uh, this pose. Now hold really still because we don't have camera motion matching yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, Why is that yeah, thing so moving about the centre of your palm? Stand still! <laughs> but I suppose we do have to have some respect for them. When they've decided to go and cast this film, they thought it's largely going to be about fighting, let's get people in who can fight. So mm. most of the fight choreography actually looks reasonably convincing. Or, uh, you know, Special movies aside, okay, teleporting ninjas and whatnot are never going to be particularly convincing, but when it's just the actual shop socky, punchy, kicky stuff, that all looks pretty smooth. Um, I've no real complaints against most of the action choreography, and when you are talking about an action film that is mainly to be viewed for the fighting, as small a goal as that is, it holds up well enough. If you're looking for a kind of solid action film inspired by the game, I think this does a reasonable fist of doing it. I can't be all too excited about it, but given that we've had some absolute turkeys of video game adaptations, this kind of hits a reasonable level. The acting is not great, however, I'm less annoyed by the somewhat lacklustre delivery from the actual action stars, but it's the guys like Christopher Lambert who is terrible in this film. <laughs> oh, he's, it's the same kind of idea, I think, as they might have been going for with M, uh, Raul Julius M. Bison, but he's got like a fraction of the charisma, so it's almost intolerable. Yeah. Uh, he does that thing where he laughs inappropriately in a, you know, he laughs inappropriately in scenes and like punches the shoulder of the person standing next to him jovially and then gets thrown yeah. a look and goes, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, yeah. that's, that's largely his role. Yes, it's not the demeanor I expect of an elder god. It should no. really be something, it should have really looked more to the, I don't know, the, the kind of acting approach that Brian Brown took to these kind of things in Gods of Egypt, maybe. That would have been more yes. appropriate. <laughs> or, at, or at the very least, given that his character is, I mean, in the, the games at least, of Asian descent, right, he could at least have put in some Mickey Rooney teeth or something. He could yes. have made an effort. <laughs> he could have made an effort to look Asian. Talk about whitewashing. Yes. <laughs> Um, surprisingly, oh, this this was what a third of the budget of Street Fighter took about a hundred and something million. I forget off the top of my head, but it remains one of the most successful video game uh, to movie translations, both content wise and commercially. Yeah. 
which, which is, is not fair. It with the faintest surprise. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it stayed at the top of the US uh, theatrical chart for like three weeks or something. Yeah, puzzlingly. I mean, it's yes, it, might, it mustn't have had much in the way of competition. Look, it's it, I don't. I'm not going to hammer on it too much because I find this film to be competent, and in a field of pygmies, that makes us a giant. But uh, it, it's a difficult film to be all that excited about. It's a perfectly fine adaptation if you're a fan of the game and you'll get something from it. But it's making no attempt whatsoever to kind of widen out the audience the way that Street Fighter does. It knows where its bread is buttered and is going purely for that market and it seemed to get everyone from that market out to watch it. But I suppose Mortal Kombat was something of a cultural phenomenon at the time so we could perhaps get away with it a bit more. And it's certainly it's much less ambitious and um, not actually as enjoyable as Street Fighter but probably more competent, I guess. But certainly nothing like as interesting. I, I am going to wail on it a bit because I, I didn't have quite as um, affable an experience with it or or certainly as forgiving an experience with it as you, as you did yourself I, I, I saw this movie not in the theatre but uh, when it first became available to rent and uh, I watched it as we were discussing before we started recording Scott I watched it uh, I had a sleepover and like a, a games night and I get drunk night with some uh, with some friends from school and we watched it and even though I couldn't recall any of it before I started watching it again now for the first time in those intervening what terrifyingly 22 years is it um, mm. I thought it'll all come to it'll all come back to me once it starts and no no it didn't I know I watched this film my brain has no recollection of it beyond the soundtrack <laughs> moral coma beyond that absolutely nothing and I didn't f- I didn't feel like it was all that competently put together at all. I agree with you, um, certainly, that it doesn't make the efforts that uh, Street Fighter did to perhaps appeal mm-hmm. to an audience beyond the the core audience of the uh, of its influence, uh, and that it feels it just feels downright unfair that this film succeeded where Street Fighter didn't I don't get that, I don't get that at all especially when if Street Fighter was so poorly received at the time you would have thought this film coming a year later would have suffered from the backlash of that but as you say, Mortal Kombat was very much its own phenomenon at the time I I least forgive this movie for giving us the career of Paul W.S. Anderson to be honest (laughs) and when I watch it now I, I was sat there afterwards and I'm like what is it the studio saw in this guy that uh, allowed him to launch a career off the back of it? And it basically, it comes down to revenue. He was fortunate enough to be a borderline competent hand at the tiller of this thing, which was riding, you know, of a boat that was riding atop the crest of a pop culture wave and which saw a ridiculous return on its slim investment. And unfortunately, that's what the bean counters look at. And had it not been so inexplicably financial, well, not inexplicably, so unfortunately financially successful, we probably wouldn't be hearing much from Paul W.S. Anderson anymore. I mean, as it is, he's been sidelined into video game adaptations pretty much ever since, most notably the Resident Evil franchise. But I thought in most respects, this film was pretty much perfunctory. I understand that he demonstrated some I mean, although the technology wasn't there yet, he at least demonstrated to the guys in Hollywood that he knew what this 3D um, CG effect stuff was, which is something probably you can imagine the studio heads and the people signing the checks didn't have a grasp on. So he would have been the equivalent of the guy that you would have asked around, you know, to to fix your computer back in the day. (laughs) He's the guy that knows how to do computers. He's the guy that knows how to do all that CG effect stuff, uh, even though those CG effects were absolutely atrocious <laughs> so I guess it's a, probably a combination of that and the financial success of the movie is the reason that we have to put up with Paul W.S. Anderson to this day but I didn't really find much to enjoy here beyond I think as I, as I referred to earlier there's 
I found it slightly disjointed in that it would it would wander quite freely from initially trying to be taken seriously, and it felt like after about ten minutes, the filmmakers were like, "Oh, geez, this isn't." I mean, obviously, it's not how it panned out, uh, or it's not how it was intended at all. But the impression is that the film, the first ten minutes, tries to be serious and then gives up on that because it realizes how crap this entire endeavor is, and then starts to throw in sort of very clunky comic bits. And I did, I did get a couple of laughs, mainly from, <laughs> mainly from. Kano, who apparently <laughs> who apparently was cast because he convinced everyone the guy the actor involved convinced everyone he was Australian and they were looking yes. for an Australian for the part or something. Uh, I, at no point did I think he was Australian. He sounded he sounded like the Londoner he is to me at all times. But there you go. I actually got a bit of a laugh out of him and perhaps bizarrely the character of Goro. Uh, yeah. And the, the the two of them had a couple of interactions as well, which were which were quite funny in and of themselves. But by and large, I wasn't all that satisfied. Yes, technically on a martial arts level, this is massively more accomplished than the Street Fighter movie, mainly for the reasons you spoke about, Scott. I think, and that the the fight choreography for Street Fighter was massively hamstrung by the schedule imposed by uh, real Julia's unfortunate illness. But uh, yes, it's more technically competent on that level. But I feel like in all other areas, I just felt like you know cheap set design i felt like the whole thing looked like it had been put together on a shoestring there were just yeah. some inexplicably stupid moments and where'd this forest come from why yeah why, exactly. why are characters just randomly appearing in scenes with no transition whatsoever i don't think there's, there's any establishing shot at all the wildly varied topology and uh and whatnot <laughs> of this island which <laughs> seems to seems to encompass a massive number of different biospheres. Um, I just found it very very shoestring, and none of the charisma that it was so clearly aiming for uh, in some areas that it would have required to carry it over into the category of at least mildly enjoyable for me. So I I did not have as pleasant an experience with this as I did with Street Fighter. And I, as, as soon as I finished watching it, I thought, yeah, that's pretty much why I don't remember any of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and never, never shall our paths cross again. You hope? Oh, no. <laughs> what would be the circumstance, <laughs> Scott, in which I have to... <laughs> what would be the confluence well, of events? we'll do a Paul W.S. Anderson episode. We'll need to watch it again for Yes, that. I'm dead that day, Scott. I can tell you now I'm dead that day. <laughs> Yeah, so somewhere somewhere towards the heat death of the universe end of the scale of things we'll get round to doing a all WS yes. podcast. Yeah. Yes. Now, the intention was that we would have watched three movies for this podcast, the third being the much later, I think 2006, is it? Dead or Alive? Uh, yes. Sorry, or DOA, colon, Dead or Alive, starring one Holly Valance, which I think was my <sighs> suggestion, and yet I have somehow managed to not fit it into my schedule, so I can't speak all that much about it, Scott. I can, however, I don't particularly want to. <laughs> could, I, could I persuade you by promising to watch it tonight or tomorrow, and then I'll record some thoughts to insert after the fact? Okay. Dead or Alive, it's perhaps a little unfair of me to consider the Dead or Alive series the perennial also-ran of the 3D era of fighting games, the likes of Tekken and Virtua Fighter, but it is at least a franchise that's still going today, unlike your Battle Arena Tishindens and Bloody Roars. It's still one of the more controversial fighting games, largely due to its juvenile focus on breast motion mechanics as much as gameplay mechanics, which more or less carries over to this incarnation. <laughs> there was perhaps some hope for optimism with Corey Ewan at the helm, the veteran fight choreographer and action director responsible for some of Jet Li's best films, such as The Legend of Fong Sayuk, although I'm sure UN's Western outings will swing that pendulum back to the negative for most. And, well, at the risk of spoiling the flow of this review, let's just state up front that Dead or Alive is a colossal pile of garbage. <laughs> um, it, 
again takes structural crews from Enter the Dragon. It takes a wide-ranging group of combatants, uh, are invited to a remote island for a fighting tournament. Although unbeknownst to the competitors, it's actually being used by organiser Donovan, played by Eric Roberts of all people, to harvest data on their fighting styles to create a weapon that frankly bears no scrutiny whatsoever, so let's skip over that. Uh, We largely follow the female protagonists, Tina Armstrong, by Jamie Presley, who's fighting for respect. Princess Kasumi, Devon Naoki, who's investigating the disappearance of her brother at the last tournament. And Christy Allen, played by Holly Valance, a burglar who gets wind of a huge sum of money somewhere in Donovan's vaults from her sometime partner, Max, played by Matthew Marsden. They come together to pursue these agendas amongst a number of dismal fight sequences featuring the rest of the supporting cast that I cannot muster the enthusiasm to talk about. (laughs) Now, when you think about the obvious choices for lead performer in a movie focused primarily on martial arts, of course one immediately pops to mind. Aussie soap star and pop crooner Holly Valance, (laughs) at least if you've been dropped on your head sufficient times as a baby. It's logic like this that pretty much runs all the way throughout the casting decisions. It doesn't matter if you can act particularly well, there's certainly no evidence of that in this film. Or if you can look convincing in a fight scene, certainly no evidence of that. But only that you look appealing in a bikini. If you did come to this film expecting at least a few decent action scenes, I can offer you one just about where Kane Kasugi, who may be the only martial artist in a speaking role, takes on a bunch of goons for about a minute. And the rest of it is a dreadful waste of time and effort for everyone involved with choppy editing failing to cover up the basic inadequacy of the cast to cover the material provided. Whereas, to my mind, at least Mortal Kombat edges towards competence and Street Fighter gets a pass on uh, comedy grounds, Dead or Alive is just a depressing, boring watch with nothing to recommend about it unless you really have no other source for lingering close-ups of bikini-cad women. It's a completely miserable experience from start to finish and I would not wish this film upon my worst enemy. Pish. (laughs) And my thoughts are... Hey Scott, it's Craig. Um, you're gonna have to hear me out. Uh, I don't know how to say this, man. I, I quite enjoyed DOA. In fact, I think it's probably on a par with Street Fighter. Um, I know what you're gonna say, but listen, just hear me out. Uh, I think uh, I laughed with it, not at it. It was really humorous. I think the female leads, uh, although this is a film seems like it's marketed at 12-year-old boys. Um, it's actually somewhat counterintuitively got three strong female leads who, yeah, they're there for window dressing and, and titillation, but they're having fun, and I had a lot of fun watching it. I know what you say about the fight scenes, but again, I think they were, well, appropriate to the tone of the film and to the tone of the game, to be honest, much like in Street Fighter. I didn't have a lot of problems with this film, man. I'm, I'm sorry, I just... I hope you can forgive me. Uh, you can probably tell by the sounds. Look, I'm on my way out of the country. By the time you hear this, I'll be gone. There's no point trying to trace this call. I'm going off the grid now, man. Okay? I hope one day you can forgive me. Bye, brother. <laughs> it, it gets some... 
some respect for including uh, pro wrestler Kevin Nash's Tina's father. But cool. <laughs> as someone who's actually able to put together a convincing fight sequence, of course he's only in it for like 30 seconds. Oh yes, you don't want him hanging around too long. Yeah, you don't want anyone sort of making anyone look bad. So yeah, the rest of it is just shots of women, basically. Women playing beach volleyball, which of course was another one of the dead or live offshoots. Um, it's a, a game series that's largely focused on catering to the base needs of teenage male players, which is sliders where you can increase the character's breast size. Oh yes, under the auspice of age. Yes. <laughs> if I remember correctly. That's really the level that you're dealing with here. So I suppose on that basis, yes, it does actually translate very well onto the screen in terms of the level of maturity and sophistication you'd expect for both the game and the film. Uh, but uh, as an actual action film with fighting scenes, dear Lord, it is terrible. Just really shonkily done. All of the acting is abysmal. Clearly people are being cast on looks rather than talent alone in either the fighting or action scenes. It's just just a really boring waste of time. Yeah, what, what a horrible experience for all involved. Um, yes, I, I easily the worst thing you will see here today. If perhaps you are looking for something a bit more modern, um, I, I can almost recommend the first Tekken film, which was 2010, maybe, something along those lines, uh, which is sort of similar to the Mortal Kombat in the way it's structured again. However, it does at least have half an hour of actually pretty well choreographed fight scenes in the middle of it. It's kind of bookended by about half an hour outside of fairly boring plot that's not worth, <laughs> worth worth a lot of analysis but it does at least have some quite good fight scenes in the middle of it. However, certainly give a body's worth to Tekken 2 which appears to be a tax dodge. <laughs> it is a film that looks like it was filmed in an afternoon it bears no relationship whatsoever to the film that came before it. It's just a, a really strange and poorly shot, you know, really cheaply shot. This is the kind of film that looks like uh, one of these kind of cash grabs slash Uwe Ball tax dodge kind of deals. Very cheaply shot, some fairly mediocre action and yeah, a plot that makes no sense whatsoever and as best as I can tell is no relation to anything that happened in any of the games or any of the offshoot materials or even in the Tekken fan fiction. It's just a, a purely made-up, cheap slice of action that uh, goes some way to tarnishing the first film's not all that spectacular name, but still much better than this deserved. So yes, um, I would say it's a, it is a field that has had a lot of adaptations, but many of them are really, really quite bad, such as that, such as Tekken 2 and Dead or Alive. So it really does, if nothing else, go some way into casting some level of comparison for Mortal Kombat. It's when you do get to see it, I'm pretty sure you'll think that Mortal Kombat was a better film than Dead or Alive, unless you're weird different <laughs> <So>. <laughs> any preference I may or may not have for Holly Valance notwithstanding that might be its only hope huh? <laughs> um, no I shall Pretty much. I shall watch it uh, I shall watch it because I feel double the dick now that you enjoyed it so little or certainly <laughs> I feel like you've been actively aggrieved by it now um, and it was yes <laughs> at my suggestion we watch it and then having having not been man enough to invest myself of it yet I will. It's less of a film and more of an insult, really. <laughs> an audiovisual <laughs> insult. <laughs> I mean, with you having or just invoked his name just a couple of minutes ago, Scott. I mean, does this are, are we going to uh, are we going to have a career retrospective of Uwe Ball at any point? I think that's an idea. Oh, let's. I think that's an idea. That's uh, where we're on the topic of hating ourselves. I mean, it's a really bad idea, but it is an idea. <laughs> it's, it's an idea, much <laughs> like sinking the Belgrano was an idea. <laughs> <laughs> 
Although, if anything, watching Uti Ball's films would have a much more severe consequence <laughs> yes. than something as trivial as the Belgrano. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. So there you go. For better or worse, that was our self-imposed discussion of video game slash fighting game uh, movie adaptations. When will we be back? Oh, do we have any feedback from the Twitters? Yes, there's some, so let's uh, let's fire out what people said about this kind of thing. Uh, who have we got? We've got some at Sonic Yoda. Hello, Lewis. Uh, watched Dead or Alive over Christmas, actually. It's terrible, but it understands its source material very well. Okay, I, I can kind of see where you're coming from that, but I'll certainly largely want to put emphasis on the terrible part of that statement. He also goes on to say he's got a lot of love for Mortal Kombat. Anderson knows how to direct some fun and schlocky action. Uh, I think Craig will certainly take issue with that. I like Death Race, though, so I'm not, I'm not going to wail on Paul, Tom- <laughs> <laughs> Paul W.S. Anderson all that much. At Blake writes, Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter are amongst the best of the train wrecks that are video game movies. And yes, I largely agree with that. There's actually precious few other uh, video game adaptations that are of any note whatsoever. I can think of maybe two that I borderline liked, and the rest of them are pretty much trivial. Hypothesis, uh, video game movies are to games as movie novelizations are to movies, which is interesting. And I can't say if I agree with that or not, because I was thinking about this and I don't think I've ever read a movie novelization. Hmm. I did, once. Uh, I read the movie novelisation of Alien 3. Um, <laughs> oh dear. Don't ask, don't ask why. <laughs> I think we need to ask why. If I don't, then maybe you're a psychoanalyst. I, I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, like I was one of those people who actually really quite enjoyed um, Alien 3 for all its obvious flaws. And I think at the time, I kind of took ownership of the fact that I was the only person that I knew that had really enjoyed it and thought <laughs> I would read the novelization. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I had a you know, I think I was in hoping that sort of the death scenes would be the same but with a more graphic description because you know at that age where it's like <laughs> and then there was loads of blood and like the man's <laughs> head split open and there was brains and that. And um <laughs> well, maybe that was just me. And then the guy that was reading the Tetley T adverts had something come out of his chest like an alien stuck his things through it and that and there was blood everywhere. It was great. Totally. Um, <laughs> yes, I don't know. No, I was just taking ownership of the fact that I liked it and I wanted everybody to know it. So I wanted to be seen publicly reading the um, novelization. <laughs> oh, so it was more of an external image statement rather than something for so. pleasure. You were just you were just virtue signaling. Yes, I was sticking it to the man in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> I was. I wanted people to know I was part of a counterculture, even if even if neither of us understood <laughs> what the hell that counterculture was. I saw the same movie as you, and you say it was rubbish, but I liked it. All right, I'm I'm being contrarian. That's a fashion thing now. Um, well, well, we'll be talking a bit more about Alien Three in our next podcast, actually, as we oh, cover yes, David Fincher. Actually, there you go. Uh, stuff, or at least our, our next major podcast. So there's. I was going to say that's the there. most seamless link I've ever done, and it was also the only. <laughs> the only unintentional one. Oh well. Yes, but there's still some more stuff to go through on the Twitter, so we'll uh, we'll ruin that link immediately. Yeah. At Scott's actor, Steve Nelson wanted us to add Super Mario Brothers to that list, but no, I don't know why he hates us so much that he'd want to put us through that. I've never um, listen. I've never seen it. But then, given how given how bad everybody made out Street Fighter was, I kind of almost feel like I have to give Super Mario Brothers a chance. Yeah, well, there's maybe an, an idea for future episode. Um, things considered trickies that maybe we'll just get around to watching because I've still not seen Ishtar, so we'll. <laughs> We'll, 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 we'll just take movies that have been critically pinyatted and uh, watch them and see if they're actually that bad. It's time to revisit Ishtar. That's not... <laughs> I didn't see that coming. The time's come. <laughs> oh, that came right out of the left field. 
<laughs> oh god yes you, but you do that score <laughs> shout out to Geekin Gamer who's uh, quoting one of the lines from Mortal Kombat I don't know if that's meant in a positive or negative way really it's hard to tell <laughs> but thanks for getting in touch as well and we've mentioned of course just to mention again the folks at the Exploding Helicopter that's at Chopper Fireball on Twitter for recommending the article in Polygon about Street Fighter which is very well worth taking a look at and just rounding things off for a tweet from Matt Toller at M Toller from Twitter's no idea what sent you guys down this particular cinematic path but you're doing the Lord's work this time out <laughs> somebody appreciates us Scott <laughs> yes yeah, so if you've made it this far into the podcast <laughs> thanks very much for listening and putting up with this uh, what is coming up for an hour of chat about games that probably don't deserve all that much <laughs> no. interrogation in the first instance but we hope we've provided some amusement value for y'all that's insane <laughs> that's insane Maybe I've got more of a judicious, judicious editing job ahead of me than I, th- than I thought. <laughs> Never mind. Yes, we will be back in short order, another 10 days for another intermission podcast, where we will be talking about, if nothing else, uh, Rogue One. And I could talk about that film for hours, I suppose, but uh, by this point, everyone else has too, so we'll see what we do with that. Uh, and whatever else we get round to seeing in the interim. Um, but until that time, we're going to leave you. I have been Scott Morris, and Craig Eastman has undoubtedly been Craig Eastman. That I have. I love you all. Tatty bye. Bye.